Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is October 18th. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the source. Now, for today's episode, we're going to be going a little bit more off the cuff, a little bit more reactionary. I feel like that's the proper take in this game as opposed to kind of diving more into individual performances. The Dolphins had a devastating loss, just about as bad as it could get. So the first thing we have to talk about here, right? We enter this game. This was, to me, a no excuses. You have to come away with the win in this scenario. You know, I know all this stuff. You have Byron Jones out. You have Xavier Howard out. On the offensive side, Preston Williams and Devontae Parker, both of them also out. Regardless of all of that, you still have to come away with the win at this point. Because if you look at how the team's been up until this game, they've been sputtering out of control. They've been looking like one of the worst teams in football. And yet here they are. They're faced with the worst team by far, in my opinion, no contest in the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that can't win a game, a losing streak of 20 games. And yet here we are. We're faced with this team. On top of that, you have to look at where the team is at. This is a team that we've all been saying the future is going to be great. The future is going to be awesome. I've been one of the guys saying it for years now, but at some point we get to an area where, okay, we need to see some of that return on investment. We can't keep talking about the future. This was a team that's supposed to be competing for the playoffs this season. This was a team that last year looked pretty good. So we need to see some of that right now. Again, you look at all the stuff they gave up to get to this point. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick, two-time first-team All-Pro. Uh, Laramie Tunsil, a guy who's probably going to be in that conversation for some amount of years. On top of that, a bunch of other players that they got to, uh, you know, to the point where they could accrue a bunch of cap space, draft capital. A whole year where we entered knowing that we were not going to be competitive, but we were told they're going to rebuild the right way. It's going to be a process, but at the end of the day, it's going to work. So all of that, yet this season, the team was looking really bad and they're faced with an opponent here, 0-5, the worst team in football. You have to come away with the win. Yet they lost this game to the Jacksonville Jaguars, despite having several moments where it seemed like they were just cruising along and they could have, you know, put the nail in the coffin. They did not. They lost this game. And there's a lot of reasons why and a lot of things that could be affected in the future. So the first thing here, if we want to talk about an individual performance, I mean, the biggest headline constantly, it seems like, is always going to be Tua of Iloa, and I understand why to some degree. This was his first game back from the injury. A lot of people were looking and seeing how did he play. Of course, the quarterback is the most important position in football, maybe one of the most important in sports. So, uh, there's going to be a ton of pressure on him. And he finished his game 33 for 47, 329 yards, two touchdowns, and one very, very bad interception. Now, if you're asking me, what did I think about Tua in this game? How did he perform? I thought he looked all right. I mean, he looked okay, you know, slightly better than average. I mean, if you take into consideration the cir the circumstances, no Devontae Parker, no Preston Williams, no Will Fuller in this game, uh, the offensive line has been abysmal, and he's still probably dealing with pain in regards to that injury. You know, I think he did okay. He's not the first guy at the top of my list to point fingers at and say that is why the Dolphins lost this game. Could he have been better? Absolutely. But I don't think he was necessarily the biggest problem in this game. But yet on Twitter, we've seen a very polar polarizing thing, which tends to happen, especially with the quarterback position, where you have one side of the people saying that Tua looked absolutely horrible. He's a reason why they lost. They need to move on. He's never going to amount to anything. And then on the opposite end, you have people saying, yep, this is the franchise quarterback. Everybody else on the team failed him. This guy was playing elite and the coaching, the receivers, he's great. 
But at the end of the day, if you're asking me where I stand, I'm in the middle. I didn't see anything that said that he played terrible. He definitely had, I thought, at least an average game. But at the same time, did he play elite? Not necessarily. He had a few nice touch passes to Gesicki. He had a few nice plays, but he also had a handful of opportunities where he could have capitalized and put the team in a better position, like on that play where he could have ran for the first down with his legs, elected to instead pass the ball and then missed on the throw. And then he had that very bad interception, the very bad pick. I mean, every quarterback's going to throw picks. Lamar Jackson also had a very bad one this week if you go check out the one he threw, but there's no sugarcoating it. That one didn't fall on the receiver. It wasn't on the play call. An absolutely horrific decision and executed throw by Tua on that one play. Definitely going to be in contention for one of the worst interceptions this year. Uh, Just an absolutely bad play. So, I can't say that he was elite. He played average. And one thing when you're kind of kind of trying to uh, gauge where these younger quarterbacks are at, you know, if you look at Trevor Lawrence, it's hard to gauge where he's at because, of course, you know the upside is what appeals. If you say, where is he at right now? Just in a vacuum, how is he playing? Well, he's probably in the bottom 20 of quarterbacks in the NFL. That's probably accurate to say. But we all know that the potential for him to grow is what makes him so enticing. So, If you're asking me, well, where does Tua stand right now? Of course, potential aside, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. If you're asking me, well, how does he stack up to the guys around the league right now? I would say, well, he's like a middle of the pack guy. I get the same kind of feeling right now as when I watch Ryan Tannehill or Alex Smith where he's not necessarily going to do anything that's going to put the team in a position to lose per se, but at the same time, is he going to be the guy that is a gunslinger that puts the team on his back to go out and get the win? Well, he hasn't necessarily shown that up until that point, so I can't say he's going to be that either. So up until that, I mean, for right now, it just seems like he's kind of a middle-of-the-pack guy with some upside, but at the end of the day, the important thing to remember is I think there's more uh, bigger kind of areas to point your fingers at for why the team lost in this game, but it's just definitely going to be interesting to monitor Tua's performances throughout the rest of the season. But the biggest issue for me, and it was glaring, I thought, and it was the the coaching and the decision-making in this game was absolutely horrific, I thought, in this one. Just really, really, really bad. And it seems like there's always one area of the team that really falters in a game. Uh, God knows we all are aware that at the beginning of the season, it was the offensive side of the ball, uh, especially with the offensive line that was the biggest issue and then last week you know this Brian Flores defensive scheme that's supposed to be phenomenal you know you got the highest paid secondary in football they're supposed to be elite well they get torched by Tampa Bay so that of course was the the biggest culprit of that loss the defensive side of the ball last week but in this game it wasn't necessarily as much the offense it wasn't necessarily as much the defense the biggest one was the coaching the decision making throughout this game looked really really bad and to kind of stay with Tua on that note, it really does seem like this coaching staff just does not trust Tua. This was a guy, I'm pretty sure you guys heard Dolphins talk with Mike over there, a top five quarterback. You're supposed to have some degree of trust that this guy isn't just some quarterback, that he is a very talented quarterback if you're taking him that early on. How many times do we hear on the primetime games, Chris Collinsworth specifically, every time, oh, in the biggest moments, who do you want to have the ball in their hands? Your playmaker, you know, your Patrick Mahomes, your Lamar Jackson. Every single week we hear something like that. But yet it seems like the Dolphins in the biggest moments are completely reluctant to put the ball into his hands. Now I'm not saying that to to say that I dis- that I agree with them having that take or disagree or anything like that, but for whatever reason, 
season, it just seems like they do not trust this guy. And when you want, in the final moments, the best player on your team to have the ball when it matters, and you give it to Malcolm Brown out of all people, it makes no sense to me. With the offensive line struggling, with Malcolm Brown not necessarily even being that good, out of the shotgun or the pistol formation, what happened to getting under center so you make it even closer? What are they doing in that situation? No idea. And then all the times that we've seen the gimmicky third and one get Jacoby Brissett out there for the quarterback sneak or for the play action, we've seen that all season, and yet this time they elect to not even bring him out when he's probably as close as he's ever been to going for the quarterback sneak and getting a first down. I just don't get it. And then, of course, you have Brian Flores uh, in the final moments calling the timeout, and Urban Meyer would come out after the game and say, oh, yeah, we're just going to throw a Hail Mary up until Brian Flores called that timeout. And then we thought, oh, yeah, we have a little bit more time. And again, these are guys who are on the fringe of field goal territory. The defense is giving them like 10 yards of cushion at least. And they just run like a quick little route down the seam, pick up nine yards and then call a timeout. What the heck kind of situational awareness is that at that point? And at the end of the day, I think it was just rooted in a whole bunch of poor coaching decisions in this game. Uh, you also had Brian Flores going with uh, two challenges that we all knew at the end of the day. There wasn't going to be the evidence to overturn either of those. If any, I'm fine with the one on the punt return because, you know, it resulted in a touchdown. If it does get overturned, that would have been a massive play. Uh, I see people on Twitter bear, very adamant about the idea that it hit the player's fingers. At the end of the day, though, going totally to toe, you know, head to head, losing uh, uh, by a fingernail of a play to the Jacksonville Jaguars like that is still nothing to be proud of. And I'm not necessarily going to say that, oh yeah, I'm furious because we were robbed on that play. More than anything, I wanted the team to come out here and look really, really good. And they didn't even do that. Even if they would have won this game, it was clear that they weren't good. And there was a point in this game at the beginning when the Dolphins were finding a nice little rhythm offensively. You know, Tua was dicing up the Jaguars defense. That was awesome to see. And then the, the defense side of the ball had several three and outs and they were batting balls down at the line of scrimmage. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this is good. It's clear right now that Miami is the better team right now between them and Jacksonville. And I still think that even with the loss of the Dolphins are a better team. But what was occurring to me is that, yeah, the Dolphins are definitely closer to the Jacksonville Jaguars than they are to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that might seem obvious, but at the end of the day, when you're thinking about playoffs and you're thinking about competing with those other teams that are really good, you have to be at least in the same category as some of those other teams. And when you're barely squeaking by against the worst team in football, it just becomes extremely clear, yeah, this isn't this isn't the year. This isn't happening. So I touched on the decision making that was made, you know, throughout the course of the game. But again, just kind of allude back, I mentioned it in a few weeks ago, there's been decision making just uh, in a bigger picture sort of way before the season, throughout the off season, that I think kind of resulted in how we got to this point. And I think it's rooted in kind of the same way that Adam Gase had an ego and he felt like he could do anything because he was an offensive mastermind, plug whatever player in there and he's going to be able to get it to work. I think the Dolphins kind of regime here, when they saw that they had guys like, you know, Andrew Van Ginkle, who was kind of a nobody become a starter when you had Eric Rowe who had kind of had a 
you know, tumultuous career, become a pretty decent starter. When you have guys like Nick Needham, you know, he also becomes a starter. And then offensively at Eric Flowers, you have a ton of guys like that. I think they were starting to feel themselves, get a little bit of an ego that, yeah, we can develop just about anybody. Let's go after the rawest players we can. We'll make them good. Let's get rid of our veterans. Let's strip this team of all the veterans, put all the responsibility on the young guys because the young guys look good last year and they will just continue to play good. And what I'm worried about right now is that there's going to be some sort of a domino effect because like I said, you strip this team of all the familiar veterans. The veterans on this team are fairly new. It's not like they've been here for a while outside of Devontae Parker and like Jerome Baker. But right now, when things are hitting the fan, when things are going crazy, who are these guys looking at and saying, oh yeah, how do we get back on track? Who are they looking at? It seems like two is too young to really take on that role on a big level. I don't know who the team is looking at because they stripped that all away and put it all in the younger guy's hands. So I think at the end of the day, these guys kind of having a little bit of an ego, and I mean like Chris Greer, Brian Flores, and maybe a few others, and going after these riskier picks, you know, uh, not electing to re-sign veterans or even trading them away for certain guys, and I think they were just feeling themselves a little bit too much. They thought they could do anything they, they wanted. And when those guys kind of snap back to reality, when you realize Andrew Van Ginkle might not be some elite player, he might just be a starter at best and he's getting exposed in coverage. When you give Jerome Baker a big contract, expecting him to continue trending upwards and he doesn't, well, then what are you doing? And I'm still just very, very frustrated about this idea uh, just about how they're treating some of these younger players as well. I mean, Tua, again, top five pick, and it seems like they don't trust him at all. You have another first round pick in Austin Jackson, who has already been shifted to a different position, and there were talks before the season that they were already looking to replace him. And then Noah Igbenogany. I mean, if Xavier Howard and Byron Jones both don't suffer injuries, does he even see the field at this at some point this season? So I think at the very least, Chris Greer is probably gone at the end of the season. I have to say that. I think it's very hard to imagine a scenario where Chris Greer is still the GM of this team. And then with that, well, do you want to keep Brian Flores with a whole new general manager? I mean, he hasn't been looking great as of late. Maybe he could string things together, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. But as of right now, it doesn't look completely unlikely that Brian Flores would also get fired in this situation. And then if you bring in an entire new staff, right, an entire new regime, Who's to say that they want to attach their whole tenure with the team to a quarterback that they didn't even draft? So with that in mind, we're also going to have to be keeping an eye on Tua, seeing if he's doing absolutely everything in his power to show that he is the guy long-term for this team, regardless of who the coach and general manager is. But at this point, these are the kind of questions that I was not expecting uh, to be uh, approached with at this point in the season. If you asked me a few months ago, if we're going to be talking about whether Tua is going to be the longtime quarterback and whether Brian Flores is even going to make it to the end of the season, I'd call you crazy, but yet here we are. And I do think one of my takeaways here is the Dolphins are going to have to hold somebody accountable for this game. And when I say that, I'm basically just politely saying someone's going to get fired. You know, heads are going to roll. I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe even a player in a grand way could get released just to kind of make a statement. But whether it's one of the offensive coordinators, whether it's both of them, I don't even know. Somebody has to get fired in this situation. I don't think it's going to be Brian Flores yet. Uh, but somebody here 
has to get fired just to kind of send a message. The team right now lost to the worst team in football. It's hard to imagine. I said this in the last episode too, uh, them being just clear favorites against any team other than the Jets and the Jaguars. Yet here we are losing to the Jaguars. Now, uh, I am a little bit worried as we approach, uh, you know, the trade deadline, because again, if you have a staff and a regime here who's kind of approaching it with this mentality of desperation, and they're going to go out there and do something that's completely ludicrous and maybe put the team in the future in a bad position for the sake of just, you know, going out there on a whim and doing whatever they can to salvage some sort of success. Um, so I'd be worried about that heading towards the, the trade deadline, like them doing something like trading a third round pick, something way too high for a guy like Marlon Mack or something ridiculous like that. That's the kind of stuff I'm worried about. And then of course, you know, is Mike Kosicki going to still be with the team? I think personally, if you're asking me, he strikes me as somebody that if he lands with any other team in the NFL, his athleticism, if he's utilized properly, he just seems like a guy who would jump immediately to that elite category. So if you're looking at guys where the Dolphins could kind of cut away, I think uh, Gesicki is one guy in particular who right now, even though is kind of on the fence about it, he's one guy that I think you should be looking to retain again, regardless of who the coach or the GM is in the future. I think Gesicki would be a valuable guy to have on this team. And to just kind of talk about some of the other notes uh, from the game, I mean, Jalen Waddle ended up having a pretty good game. Of course, you kind of want to build around a guy like that. He had 10 catches for 70 yards. Again, it was another game where he wasn't utilized down the field as much as you would like to see. But, you know, in the red zone, he had the two touchdown receptions. So that was nice in some uh, regard. Albert Wilson continues to just be like, man, what's happening here? This is a guy who in training camp, all the stories were just extremely positive. He was going to be this breakout player, it seemed like. And I even wrote a big article and talked about it on the podcast. Now I look like a fool just for being so hype about it. But he had two catches for 14 yards, but there's one play in particular where he caught the ball. It looked like he had a pretty decent path to run for a first down. Instead, he tried to do too much, ended up losing like four yards from where he caught the ball to where he got tackled. So, I mean, Albert Wilson overall just been really disappointing, and I did not expect that. All these receivers going down, I expected him to kind of seize the opportunity. That has not been the case whatsoever. And then the running game here, another interesting one, Malcolm Brown kind of took off for a somewhat big run and it seemed like once the Dolphins saw that they elected to ride the hot hand I don't know if it was necessarily that hot to begin with it was a 16 yard carry um, but Savan Ahmed seven carries for 22 yards he had some decent plays in there Miles Gaskin had absolutely nothing going five carries for nine yards not really effective as a receiver either he was targeted six times was only able to come down with two of them as opposed to last week where he had 10 catches on all of his 10 targets. So just as a whole, I mean, there's a lot of big question marks floating around the Dolphins right now to kind of summarize those takeaways. Tua had an all right game, you know, slightly above average. I thought it was fine. Important to take into consideration that things were working against them, like the injury, the lack of receiver weapons. Of course, the offensive line continues to be really bad. But then at the same time, take into consideration who was he playing against. It was the Jacksonville Jaguars expecting your QB1 to look good against the worst secondary in football or one of the worst secondaries. You know, it's all but likely. I think most people would expect that at that point. Uh, there's got to be some serious moving of parts. I expect there to be some sort of firing or big release just to kind of make a statement that they're aware that they're in a very, very, very bad situation right now. And then on top of that, uh, I think the future for Chris Greer, you know, barring something completely unforeseen happening or, you know, even Brian Flores, it's looking bleak for him. 
those are just the major takeaways from right now. I would love to know what you guys think. Feel free to reach out to me if you guys are, you know, frustrated. You just want to vent about it. I'm completely open to that idea. Uh, any topics, questions, things you'd like for me to discuss in a future episode, as always, you can send them to me on Twitter. That is at via the source. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. I know these are, you know, pretty difficult times again as a Dolphin fan and. Uh, you know, I'm right there along with you guys on the ride. Hate that it has to be these negative-oriented podcasts lately, but you know, that is just the state of the team. But guys, as always, it was a pleasure to be your host. That's how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Steven Masso, and this was Via the Source.